Welcome back, Heming Brainiacs, to the Hemingway List podcast for book four, chapter one. I did put the title in wrong. I wrote book three, chapter 16. There is no book three, chapter 16. It was book four, chapter one. My bad. What did you make of the letter to Thomas and a new baby, Erica Grunlich? Exciting stuff. Starfall 15, however, says Grunlich is definitely hiding something. Tony is tucked away in the suburbs, away from the city, can only socialise with the neighbourhood, didn't invite the in-laws, no owned carriage to limit her outings, or because he can't afford to buy one. If Buddenbrook Sr. is managing his firm the same way he managed the background check of his future in law, no wonder their firm isn't more successful. To have a pensy is a thinking room. Tony didn't bother saying hello to Clothilda. Not much love between the two. Tony can't even manage her own household. It is kind of telling the way that potentially Grunlich has hoodwinked the Buddenbrook parents so easily, if that is indeed what he's done. Also, thanks for telling us, Starfall 15, what a pensy is. A thinking room. Pensy. P-E-N-S-E-E. That's cool. Makes sense. Pensive. Pensy. Or the pensive, if you're a Harry Potter fan. Swim said the mama fishy said there are several interesting passage in Junior's letter to Thomas. I'm avoiding such expenses for the rest of us, given the current state of political unrest. Her husband had not invited us to come, but received us very cordially all the same. One acquires an advocate in the person of his wife, if the occasion should ever arise, and though such occasions are to be avoided, if at all possible, they may nevertheless occur, that through some oversight in the office, or for some other reason, one's employer is less satisfied with one's work than one might wish. As you know, following the losses incurred upon the death of your late grandfather, the firm has not grown, and I pray God that I can pass the business on to you in at least its present condition. At least its present condition. So it's it's not grown, and he's fearing that it might shrink, if it hasn't already. If only your mother's family knew how to count their pennies a bit better, that inheritance would be of great importance to us. He's counting on on his wife's family's inheritance. Acoustic Eel says, I checked the dates on this part. Tony was eight at the start of the book in 1835, so now she is 18 or 19 in 1846 at the, fir- at the birth of her child. Christian is 17 or 18. I don't remember where they gave Thomas's starting age, but I think he was the oldest, so that would put him around 20. Rail Jinxing About says, If you don't know about them, you might find it interesting to read up on the German revolutions between 1848 and 49. I expect they'll be discussed in the novel in some way, since the events leading up to them were already mentioned through Morton's political diatribes, and Junior now mentioning the unstable situation at this point in the narrative. Swims to the Mama Fishy says, I read the article this morning. I feel like it's going to be a bit of a long read. It is a bit of a long read. What I need is a bit of like a TLDR, you know, an overview. I guess I can read just the first bits of this Wikipedia page. German revolutions, 1848 and 49, the opening phase of which was also called the March Revolution, were initially part of the revolutions that broke out in many European countries. They were a series of loosely coordinated protests and rebellions in the states of the German Confederation, including the Austrian Empire. The revolutions were stressed pan-Germanism, 
demonstrated popular discontent with the traditional largely autocratic political structure of the 39 independent states of the confederation that inherited the German territory of the former, former Holy Roman Empire. After its dismantlement, as a result of Napoleonic Wars, the process began in the mid-1840s. The middle-class elements were committed to liberal principles, while the working class sought radical improvements to their working and living conditions, as the middle-class and working-class components of the revolution split the conservative aristocracy defeated it. Liberals were forced into exile to escape political persecution, where they became known as 48ers. Many emigrated to the United States, settling in Wisconsin and from Wisconsin to Texas. All right. Um, well, that's the intro for the Wikipedia article. It's a long article. It uh, gives me a little context. I still don't really know, you know, what happened, but maybe we can break it down a little further as we continue through the book. Chapter 2 of Book 4 goes like this. Part 4, I should say. What is the matter, Betsy? said the consul, as he came to the table and lifted up the plate with which his soup was covered. Aren't you well? You don't look just right to me. The round table in front, in the great... Sorry, the round table in the great dining room was gr- was grown very small. What? Around it, there, gathered in these days besides the parents, only little Clara, now ten years old, Mamsel Jungman and Clotilda, as humble, lean and hungry as ever. The consul looked about him. Every face was long and gloomy. What had happened? He himself was troubled and anxious, for the, bur- the bourse was unsteady, owing to the this complicated... Schleswig-Holstein affair, and still another source of disquiet was in the air when Anton had gone to fetch in the meat course, the consul heard what had happened. Trina, the cook, who had never before been anything but loyal and dutiful to her mistress, had suddenly shown clear signs of revolt. To the Frau Consul's great vexation, she had been maintaining relations, a sort of spiritual affinity, it seemed. With the butcher's apprentice, and that man of blood must have influenced her political views in a most regrettable way. The consul's wife had addressed some reproach to her in the matter of an unsuccessful source, and she had put her naked arms akimbo and delivered herself as follows. You just wait for our consul. Tain't going to be much longer. There'll come another order into the world, and then I'll be sitting on the sofa in a silk gown, and you'll be serving me. Naturally, she received summary notice. The consul shook his head. He himself had had similar troubles. The old porters and labourers were, of course, respectful enough and had no notions in their heads, but several here and there among the young ones had shown by their bearing that the new spirit of revolt had entered into them. In the spring there had been a street riot, although a constitution corresponding to the demands of the new time had already been drafted, which a little later, despite the opposition of Liebrecht Kruger, and other stubborn old gentlemen, became law by a decree of the Senate. The citizens met together, and representatives of the people were elected. But there was no rest. The world was upside down. Everyone wanted to revise the constitution and be and the franchise, and the citizen grumbled. Voting by estates, said some consul Johann Buddenbrook among them. Universal franchise, said others. Heinrich Hagenstrom was one of these. Still others cried, universal voting by estates, and dear knew what they meant by that. All sorts of ideas were in the air. 
for instance the abolition of disabilities and the general extension of the rights of citizenship even to non-Christians, no wonder Boddenbrook's Trina had imbibed such ideas about sofas and silk gowns. Oh, there was worse to come. Things threatened to take a fearful turn. It was an early October day of the year 1848. The sky was blue with a few light floating clouds in it, silvered by the rays of the sun, the strength of which was indeed not so great but that the stove was already going behind the polished screen in the landscape room. Little Clara, whose hair had grown darker and whose eyes had a rather severe expression, sat with some embroidery before the sewing table while Clothilde, busy likewise with her needlework, had the sofa placed near the Frau Consul. Although Clothilde Buddenbrook was not much older than her married cousin, that is to say only 21 years, her long face already showed pronounced lines, and with her smooth hair, which had never been blonde, but always a dull greyish colour, she presented an ideal portrait of a typical old maid. But she was content. She did not she did nothing to alter her condition. Perhaps she thought it best to grow up early old early, and thus to make a quick end of all doubts and hopes. As she did not own a single sou, she knew that she would find nobody in all the wide world to marry her, and she looked with humility into her future, which would surely consist of consuming a tiny income of, in some tiny room, which her influential uncle would procure for her out of the funds of some charitable establishment for maidens of good family. The consul's wife was busy reading two letters. Tony related the good progress of the little Erica and Christian and wrote eagerly of his life and doings in London. He did not give any details of his industry with Mr. Richardson of Threadneedle Street. The Frau consul who was approaching the middle forties complained bitterly of the tendency of blonde women to grow old too soon. The delicate tint which corresponded to her reddish hair had grown dulled despite all cosmetics, and their hair itself began relentlessly to grey, or would have done so but for a Parisian tinture of which the Frau Consul had the receipt. Excuse me. She was determined never to grow white. When the dye would no longer perform its office, she would wear a blonde wig. On top of her still artistic coiffure was a silk scarf bordered with white lace, and be- the beginning, the first adumbration of a cap, her silk frock was wide and flowing, its bell-shaped sleeves lined with the softest mull. A pair of gold circlets tinkled as usual on her wrist. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly there was a noise of running and shouting, a sort of insolent hooting and catcalling, the stamping of feet on the pavement, a hubbub that grew louder and came nearer. "'What is that noise, Mama? said Clara, looking out of the window and into the gossip's glass. "'Look at the people!' What is the matter with them? What are they so pleased about? My God, shouted the Frau Consul, throwing down her letters and springing to the window. Is it? My God, it is the revolution. It is the people. The truth was that the town had been the whole day in a state of unrest. In the morning, the windows of Benthian, the draper's shop in Broad Street, had been broken by stones, although God knew what the owner had to do with politics. Anton, the consul's wife, called, with a trembling voice, into the dining room where the servants were bustling about with the silver. Anton, go below, shut the outside doors, make everything fast. It's a mob. Oh, for our consul, said Anton, is it safe for me to do that? I'm a servant, if they see my livery. 
What wicked people, Cthulhu drawled without putting down her work. Just then the console crossed the entrance hall and came in through the glass door. He carried his coat over his arm and his hat in his hand. You are going out, Jean, asked the Frau console in great excitement and trepidation. Yes, my dear, I must go to the meeting. But the mob, Jean, the revolution. Oh dear me, Betsy, it isn't so serious as that. We are in God's hand. They have gone past the house already. I'll go down the back way. Jean, if you love me, do you want to expose yourself to this danger? Will you leave us here unprotected? I'm afraid, I tell you, I'm afraid. My dear, I beg of you, don't work yourself up like this. They will only make a bit of a row in front of the town hall or in the market. It may cost the government a few window panes, but that's all. Where are you going, Jean? To the assembly. I'm already late. I was detained by business. I would be. It would be a shame not to be there today. Do you think your father is stopping away, old as he is? Then go in God's name, Jean, but be careful, I beg of you, and keep an eye on my father, if anything hit him. Certainly, my dear. When will you be back? The foul console called after him. Well, about half past four or five o'clock. Depends. There is a good deal of importance on the agenda, so I can't exactly tell. Oh, I'm frightened, I'm frightened, repeated the Frau Consul, walking up and down restlessly. Alrighty, there we go, there's a chapter for you. Looks like the revolution has begun. Exciting. I don't really know what it means, but let's figure it out. Thanks for listening, see you tomorrow.